welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 362. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. This week, we bring you Starter House by Jason Palmer. Jason Palmer's strange writings have appeared in a dozen magazines and anthologies. Rarified Rocky Mountain Air is probably responsible for some of it. As for the rest, well, I guess we'll just allude to that with a bunch of ellipses. The story's guest produced for you this week by Brian Sherman. Brian hails from Key Largo, Florida, a place surrounded by ravenous manatees and skull-seeking palm fronds. When he's not wrist-deep in ground turkey, screaming into jambes, or encasing microphones in jello, you can find him making eerie and unsettling music at Caustic Reverie, or pounding away at an obsolete laptop on the shores of Florida Bay. He's recently published his first novel, Further Complications, a comedic crime thriller. You can also hear his voice acting, music, and sound design in the games No More Room in Hell and Pirates, Vikings, and Knights 2. This guy made his own music and sound effects for this bad boy this week, folks, in the time-honored tradition of Drabblecast yesteryear. You gotta give props to a fella for hitting it old school. So props aplenty to thee, Brian. Props aplenty. So without further ado, we bring you Starter House by Jason Palmer. Starter House by Jason Palmer. Dale looked up through the ribbed lucite dome of asteroid Sintest 2. His eyes lit from within by thoughts of a bright future. I never imagined, he said. I'd own a purebred house. Pam locked her eyes on his. I knew you would. I knew we would. This makes it all worth it. They kissed. A forklift driver smiled at them as he passed, trundling a giant spool of wire through corridors of stacked feed bags. He disappeared into the high dark bay of the feedlot. Dale and Pam shivered with excitement when a giant, discomfited came from the bay. They smiled into each other's eyes. Do you think they're working on ours? She said. Dale waited a loaded moment to answer, slowly. I think so. I think so. Someone said, Y'all got that mail? A salesman. Yes, said Dale, cradling Pam's waist. We want a little independence. The salesman came around a stack of grain bags. Can't say I blame you. People buy females. They know the payoff for breeding is good, but some don't realize it's a long road. These ain't chickens. He stuck out his hand. I'm Stu Armstrong. They shook. Armstrong tipped his hat at Pam, and then another massive... Beyond the lighted part of the warehouse made him look up. Uh-oh, he said, grinning. I think they started on your boy. They all looked at each other in suspense. Armstrong said, What say we go and watch him wire him up? Pam clapped her hands in excitement and they crossed the warehouse to stand in the entrance to the vast dim bay. Beyond the boundary of the bonecrete floor and overhead lights, the soaring dome gave perspective to the universe. There was a vast hiss from pressurization and a thickening of the hair smell of B vitamins. 
Dale and Pam held hands while a gantry with bubble tires entered from the vacuum planes outside. Upon it stood something pink, bipedal and male, 40 feet tall. A humanoid, mongoloid mountain that looked one-quarter armadillo. Armstrong waved to some of the workmen, signaling, Customer here! And a few waved back. The giant standing on the gantry didn't move except to chew, rolling cud lazily in its mouth. It had a hayseed sort of look except for the bulging forehead. The workmen used long gaff hooks to bring it baying down into a painful crouch, then held the hooks firmly until it adjusted. It began chewing again, although its big human eyes looked wild. Dale and Pam looked on in fascination. Armstrong observed them. Yep, he said. Purebred, perfect health, and 100% adapted. One big atmosphere suit for the family. The slow workmen barked at one another, throwing loops of wire over the creature and catching them on the other side. A steel cable went over the back of the neck, keeping it bowed down. Tight loops bound the ankles to the thighs and the arms to the wrists like chicken wings, and it made Dale vaguely hungry. He glanced at Pam, wondering if she shared the thought, but her face was that of a little girl, filled with wonder and happiness. The creature's stomach was brought between its knees, the chin to rest on the stomach. A faux Georgian porch was hung on a steel band over the eyes and secured with a giant padlock at the back of the head. Is it all done? asked Pam. Oh no, ma'am, said Armstrong. We still have to gouge and carter and clean. I just thought you might like to see this part. I imagine if it was my first house, I want to see everything having to do with it, top to bottom. Except the gouging. All the moaning and baying and the mess kind of turns people off. That's why we're full service. We do the dirty work. That's our motto. We'll remember you, Mr. Armstrong, said Pam, her hand over Dale's heart. The man who sold us our first house. Two months later... Dale left work and piloted his cruiser across the Valley of the Shadow with two fingers on the stick. His breath turned to ferns of ice on the front glass, and he listened to the treads popping icy pebbles along the floor of the impact crater. The coolers burped to life as the temperature topped 220 Fahrenheit in the sun that peaked into the valley. Then he was home. Home puffed and sweated in the heat. Dale bounced across a short patch of asteroidal plain and then stepped through the wet membrane of the belly door. Setting down his helmet, he stood a moment in the entryway. The white and red Christmas tree lights in the living room soothed him. Pam called from another room. Honey. He sighed. (sighs) Yes? The house was just very shifty, just a minute ago. Will you do something? Relieved. Oh, okay. This he could handle. He set the helmet on a peg near the door and shuffled down the hall to an unadorned closet. Opening the door, he turned on a naked fluorescent light by pulling a chain and picked up his worn cricket bat. He crunched his fingers against the electrical tape on the handle. Dale closed the door and rolled his shoulders. 
then took a first cursory whack at the loose-hanging scrotum that took up most of the closet. The yielding bulk was flaccid and the exertion felt good. He hit it again much harder, and an angry rumble ran through the walls. Dale liked the reality of the closet. It disclosed the grit of the iron spars and the utility pipes that structured the house's sore flesh into the familiar residential geometries. A man's realm. He stripped off his atmosphere suit a bit at a time, working his hits in. A sleeve. Whack! The other sleeve. Smush! He finally emerged with the top half of the suit hanging from his waist and his t-shirt all sweated up. Having banged away at the house's balls until the angry shutters turned to pleading and placating ones. He found Pam crouching over little Tommy in his bath. What? he asked. Got it worked up. Guess? Tommy, were you sticking pins in the walls again? Tommy grinned and clapped his hands together in a puff of bath bubbles, and Dale forgot why he'd been upset. How are we doing? Dale asked Pam that night as she scanned the accounts. He lay behind her in bed, stroking her hair. In a moment, she'd become annoyed by his absent-minded fascination with her. Okay, but the repair expenses have been pretty bad lately. It's a lot more expensive now that we need a catheter man instead of a plumber, and a doctor instead of a carpenter. Even though we skipped the anesthesia? Yes. And you did ask that antibiotics wholesaler about lobotomy? He doesn't recommend it. He says people who lobotomize wind up with random fits and all kinds of craziness. He stopped tracing the curve of her spine. It is a willful house he said, and his eyes became flat and shining. She half turned toward him as she took out an earring. Did you hear it trying to sniff around the Yubari's place next door? But the Yubari's... What if our house is gay? He laughed and pulled her across him, tickling her so she kicked and wiggled. <laughs> A gay house... Four months later. I'm beginning to wonder, said Pam through the calm in her atmosphere suit, what we're going to do. They looked out across Divine Redeemer's Landing, really just a few rows of houses squatting side by side on a plane with views of the nebula. It was a yellowish nebula, not one of the depressing blue ones. They held hands and the bubbles of their helmets touched. I know, Dale said. The feed is the worst. It gets more expensive every week. He spread his hands. It's a buyer's market right now. Things will bounce back after the war. I hope so. Then maybe we can get a nice greenhouse instead. I could get tired of all that meat. Dale's head snapped toward her. He hated the way she always thought one step beyond what they could possibly accomplish, but he fought his anger. They couldn't afford another row, no matter how nice it was making up. Things felt... thin. He changed the subject. How has it been lately? The house? How do you think? Trying to walk around, fidgeting all day? The plaster's cracked in Tommy's room again. If it gets an arm or a leg free, we'll be kicked out of the neighborhood. 
I'll take care of it. It doesn't do much good anymore, Dale. Especially with you wailing away in there anytime you get stressed. Her tone was withering. He watched her, his answer to the cold distances of the galaxy. The spectral light made her look suddenly chiseled and independent and even hawk-like. Dale suddenly perceived how little they knew each other, and he glimpsed a stark white fear. Six months of war later. Pam kept shaking her head whenever he looked at her. He opened all the kitchen drawers until he found the filleting knife. Don't do it, she said. We'll lose 20% of the house's value. What if the war is over tomorrow? What if it isn't? We have to see if we can stomach it. He took the knife into the hall closet. The walls shook and shivered as he carved out a good-sized steak, and he gritted his teeth against the irregular splurts of blood. Finished. He jabbed a big hypo of clotting factor into the twitching wall and left it hanging there. When he came out, Pam and Tommy were holding onto the arms of their chairs, making him smile. Dale slabbed the meat onto a gas-fired grill and rubbed his hands over the little blue flame, feeling a bit touched in the head. The savor of sizzling meat brought Tommy into the kitchen, wide-eyed in his underwear. Is that part of our house? he said. There was the usual troubled, philosophical bent to the boy's question. Not anymore, buddy. They had only candles to light their table, and above their fickle light, Pam's face looked thin and ashen. A jagged fault line ran up the plaster wall behind her to the ceiling, where it continued horizontally to the dead chandelier. Its shadow jumped sides as the candle flames swayed in a draft. Dale stared out the window as they said grace, looking toward the consortium for some sign of life in that seemingly bright but war-torn cluster. What have you heard on the post? asked Pam, chewing and slurring her words. He just shook his head. Tommy, excited, said, Are we going to be the last people left in the whole universe? Dale stopped chewing. The silence was complete except for the clank of Tommy's fork. Only the boy remained dignified and confident, and after a moment Pam began imitating him, literally copying him in an exhausted way that Dale found repulsive and threatening. Later. Dale peeled the plaster away from the skin walls all over the house and piled the furniture in the middle of the rooms. We cut off what we need, he said, and hold out as long as we can. Pam held up a large plunger full of blue fluid. We only have 1,200 cc's of worm begun left. All right. Then we stop the daily doses and shock the system when things start getting ugly. And there's no chance, said Pam. The others will find food on citrus. Oh, they've got grain on citrus. And the first thing those people will do is fire their rockets at any refugees they see. 
They're trying to hold out, same as us. Pam sagged. We can't reach civics or the inners? Not directly. He leaned close to her and whispered, The war spread. We're safe here. He led her by the arm to a membranous window. But you see that? The folk rocks? Pinpoints of yellow and pink light ringed by invisibly small, arable planets. His nostrils flared. Now, it's a tomb. She nodded in defeat. When he kissed the side of her nose, it was cold. Tommy clambered over the pile of furniture in the center of the room, looking the miniature philosopher, never smiling. Dale couldn't stop his nostrils flaring. He slapped the angry red endothelium of the house's bare interior. Now, who's hungry? Dale? Yes? What do we feed the house? They fed the house bushels of the thumb-like white worms that hung wriggling out of the infected walls like earthworms in a fresh grave. Pam added chaff and vitamin B to make them taste more like grain, but Dale still had to clamp the house's nose shut with a ratchet cable to make it swallow. They waited a month, then shot it full of worm gone, and the worms went away for a while. They're gone, Pam marveled. He was still as she hugged him. During the last month, they'd worked elbow to elbow together as they'd never done before, remaking their life into something that could survive the war. The previous night, Dale had sat across from his wife at the empty table and told her that he'd never loved her this way before, not even when they were first married. They had slept packed together limb and limb like blind baby mice, sheltered and guarded in each other. He told her the truth. No, they'll be back and it will be worse than before. When she sat down and began to cry just as suddenly as she'd been overjoyed, he sat at her feet in a pool of the limpid pus that slicked the floor. He'd have to mop again soon. If he let it dry, it would crust over like egg yolk. The house grew thinner. On a short, hot night in the asteroidal summer, Pam whispered, What was that? For a long time, he'd sensed her lying awake, but finally they both must have slipped off. He flicked a thumb-sized worm off the edge of the bed. What was what? That. What? A rustling sound as the house slithered. That. He sat up, listening, and the house canted and nearly tipped him over. Tommy screamed and Dale brought him into their room to sleep between them with the worms and ooze. He found it terrible listening to Tommy's moans, to watch his sleeping, emotionless face while the slitherings and leanings carried on throughout the night. At some point, Pam said, What is it? but fell into exhausted sleep before Dale could tell her he didn't know. Tommy actually pitched a fit the next morning. Daddy, don't go outside! Daddy, don't go! He seemed to gargle his tears and Dale didn't like the broken way his face looked. The spacewalk classes had helped before the war, but now he'd begun regressing and closing off. I'll be back, buddy. I just need to see what's making that noise. He put on his helmet and slipped through the passive membrane outside. 
He gaped. Next door on the Yabari sign was nothing but a giant set of footprints that walked off into the silty, asteroidal distance, taking the baby steps that the housemaster's special shackles permitted. On the other side was a collapsed wreck, giant bones showing through the papery skin like the masts of a stove-in sailing ship. Dale bounced around to the back, looking up and down the bruised and lacerated hulk of his wretched, willful house. He hated it. Hated its giant stupid butt crack and scabby elbows, the tufted hair that grew along its spine. Then he saw it. The right wrist, folded down against the forearm, glistened with red and black blood. The bone showed against the gouging wire. The arm twitched back and forth as he watched, sawing itself with the wire. The house had become so thin that the arm nearly fitted through, and soon it might get free like a double-jointed person slipping out of a straitjacket. Dale could sense the pain and the ambition. He'd bought the mouth brace with the quarter-ton spring for this very reason, when he'd thought of the house's teeth. He didn't tell Pam about the arm. Instead, Dale shut himself in the closet and unleashed a storm of violence. He leaned against the sweating, swaying testicles, digging his fingers into them when his strength ran out. Dale used the exposed bones like railings to avoid slipping in the slick rivers of pus. He placed the filleting knife against a raw red strip of meat, expecting the house to twist dryly away from him again. But it didn't move. Was it asleep? Too weak? It never occurred to him that the house might simply be distracted. Then it tipped to the left rather ponderously, deep and slow. Dale froze. In the kitchen, Pam started screaming. Dale threw down the knife and bolted down the stairs. He saw Pam with her rump backed against the edge of the dining room table, cradling Tommy in her arms and screaming, seemingly at him. He tried to run to her and tripped over something. He hit the floor hard but uninjured. He looked to his left and thought he saw a giant snake, something like a huge red boa constrictor, moving toward his family. His eyes flew wide open and a cold revulsion made him scurry back. Dale gained his feet and saw it just as the wrist flexed and the palm spun and opened. The long fingers flapped in anticipation, and Pam's scream turned to a ripping, horrible sound. Her eyes looked about to pop out, and a ragged girl child rose to replace the woman in her face, sunken-eyed and savage. The long arm had come in through the belly door membrane. Dale stomped on it, crushing down with his heel. Once. Twice. Six times. The arm retreated a little, but more in surprise than pain, then plunged toward his family again. Pam screamed his name. Tommy screamed Daddy, and it was like a nightmare. The complete lonesomeness of his responsibility seemed to press on Dale's head like a vice. For a moment, his mind slid into a helpless swirl of stars and screams. Then he jumped over the arm and grabbed the cattle prod. The arm leapt when stung, flying into the ceiling and bringing a rain of plaster. He hit it again and had to duck as it swept sideways, sending light fixtures and pictures to the floor. Pam scurried beneath the table with Tommy and held a chair in front of her like a hysterical lion tamer. The house howled and leaned forward, cracking more plaster, 
trying to get its arm through the door up to the shoulder. Blood dripped everywhere. Dale shocked it half a dozen times, then stabbed the prod right into the flesh like a spear. The arm ripped out of the house like a length of anchor chain. Pam. She sat on the edge of Tommy's bed upstairs, staring straight ahead. Pam. He snapped his fingers in front of her face. Please talk to me. He looked over his shoulder. Something was moving over the exterior of the house. It whispered along the skin like a vampire bat, then pressed against the house's back like a face in a cake. Knuckles. Pam's face tightened and so did her grip on Tommy, who sucked his thumb on her lap. Mother and son had become one, but not Dale. He seemed to dance all around them. It can't get to us up here. It can't come up the stairs. Not all the way up. Pam's ragged new girl face was ghostly in the dim bedroom. The candles and portable lights had run out weeks before. Finally, her eyes fixed on his. They're all dead, Dale. No one's coming. He sat and stroked Tommy's forehead with one finger, sensing the furious, youthful rationalization going on in there. They lay in darkness on Tommy's bed, listening to the thick sound of worms dropping from the ceiling like ripe fruit, listening to them writhe beneath the acrid mist that wavered on the floor with a graveyard effect. They could make all the worm mush they wanted now, but couldn't feed the house. There could be no more going outside with the arm free. Dale considered a run in a hub ship, and maybe they could find a friendly rock not too far away. But they'd probably wind up starving just the same, only adrift and in mindless horror. Dale gave up on sleep and went to check the barricade blocking the front door. The boards with nails pounded through them hadn't been disturbed. Nevertheless, he looked over his shoulder as he baked pies out of diseased matter and connective tissues, smoking them in battered tins to cover a taste too vile even for real hunger. He brought their breakfast upstairs, hoping Pam didn't notice how he had to duck into the room. The house was getting smaller. He set a big reeking pie on a bed tray where Pam and Tommy sat with their legs under the blanket and that was when the house blasted through the barrier over the front door, sending boards clattering all over the living room. It howled with rage as the nails bit into its knuckles. No! Pam snarled. The house swayed drunkenly, left and forward. Plaster dust rained, and there was a sound like a German shepherd rampaging up the stairs. In the corner of the doorway, Dale saw the tip of a big red finger. He gaped at it. The house tilted further over, and as the shrunken room canted, most of the hand came into view. It wrapped around the doorframe and ripped off a chunk of the wall. The fingers scuttled on the floor. Dale pried Pam's fingers from his shoulders. He went stonily to the corner of the room and picked up the 20-pound sledgehammer he'd set against the nightstand. He raised it over his shoulder and smashed in the last knuckle of the longest finger. He heard Tommy crying distantly. The hand flopped around like a giant bird and then whipped away down the stairs. While foraging, he sometimes passed the unmarked closet where the house's blackly gangrenous testicles hung, hearing the faint creak of the metal ring that kept them locked in there, softly pendulating. Soon they would simply lie on the floor, a symbol of his lost control. 
They moved Tommy's bed to the corner of the room to keep the maximum distance from the pattering fingers when they came in the night. After keeping a long silence, Tommy said, Why does the house hate us? It doesn't hate us, buddy. It's just hungry, like us. Tommy's eyes widened in expanding horror as he interpreted this, and Dale cursed himself. He stroked his son's hair until he fell asleep. Pam curled in his other arm and the sledgehammer handle laid across them. What's that sound? asked Pam in the darkness. What time is it? What's that? Listen! A woody scraping sound like fingernails on a coffin lid. Dale was grateful for the darkness as he frowned. It's nothing, he said. Dale, she said, her voice rising in hysterical crescendo. The bed is moving across the floor! It was. Just a few millimeters at a time as the house shrank and the walls compacted. The bed was edging toward the doorway. But what amazed him was the way that Pam had sprung up on all fours, covering not only his son, but himself as well. Dale's lines of tape retreated in concentric rings day by day until they reached the foot of the bed. But he didn't get angry or panicked. He'd had a realization. It was the house that mattered first and foremost. Its skin was all that held in their precious scrap of atmosphere, and it must be protected like one of them. He was impressed by the flat hate he encountered in Pam's eyes as he shared this revelation. Alone, he baked more worm pies and tried throwing them out the front door, through the membrane, but they only grew into a pile on the doorstep. Starved as it was, the incensed house preferred to hunt his family. It blew great hollow farts all night, and its bloated, gassy belly seemed to be the only thing that kept it from reaching them. The arm that reached inside grew thinner and harder until it was all rage and bone. They woke up one morning with the comforter and bedspread gone, along with the footboard. They huddled in the corner where the ceiling was now too low to sit up straight. Dale had a sense of being in a creature's body as he ventured out for food now. Could trace the T-lines of the torso and the sprocketed shoulders. He could hear a racing heartbeat through the thin walls and the stair. By the bedside, he now kept an electric saw. When she did not experience one of her bursts of protectiveness, Pam seemed shell-shocked. The repetitive horror of hungry, snatching fingers left her looking like a gopping, saucer-eyed rabbit, scratching against the sheets with rabbit feet as she tried to back away. During an afternoon raid, although they had lain in a shivering bunch in the corner, Dale had felt the reaching fingers brush the hairs on his leg. That night, he woke to Tommy, screaming right in his ear. The title bout had come. Dale flew to a crouch on the bed and felt a great shifting beside him in the darkness. He grabbed the nearest human limb and out of blind instinct pulled it toward the far corner of the bed, away from the threat. To maximize his friction against the bed, Dale lay flat as he pulled. He found the slick wood-feeling finger of the house that had curled around his son's leg and with both hands began to pry it off. 
He had forgotten that the footboard was gone and tried to brace his feet against it. And a great wrench from the house brought him and Tommy flapping to the floor, their legs sticking out into the hall. The savage girl Pam, the rabbit Pam, rushed forward and threw herself across Tommy, bracing her hands on the walls. The fingers grabbed her ankle and she lunged oh. grunting back toward the bed. Dale moved numbly toward the electric saw. Pam had grabbed a leg of the bed and was being dragged with it back into the hall. Kneeling, Dale brought the electric saw whining to life over his head. The house's arm pulsed against his thighs. His eyes grew and shrank with uncertainty. Dale! Pam screamed. Tommy, his thumb in his mouth, walked white-faced toward him like a child zombie. He could bring down the saw and end this nightmare, but a new one would begin. With no way to stop the blood, the house would almost certainly die. Yet if he didn't do it, the probing arm could now reach them everywhere. He also couldn't sledge the fingers without shattering Pam's leg. She would probably get an infection in the worm-ridden house and die. That left option number three. He stole a moment to watch his family, imagine them calm and loving, and stored the picture away. Then he knelt beside the entangling fingers like a doctor. He calmly pried off one finger, it took all his strength, and replaced it around his own ankle, where it took hold with insane strength. He pried off another, smaller finger and did the same thing. After three fingers, he heard Pam grunt and drop to the floor. She'd been racked between the tug of the house and her grip on the bed, wedged in the doorway. Oh! She cried, revolted, and sacked Tommy to the floor. Dale began sliding across the landing on his bottom. He took hold of the doorframe as he passed it, knowing it would do no good. The fingers of the house seemed to know whom they grasped. Pam turned to him with Tommy's face clamped against her breast, and Dale tried to smile. Her eyes went wide. He studied her with a stunning clarity of vision as the big hot palm pressed against his back and two fingers clamped over his shoulders like a safety restraint. He watched her expression change from shock to horror to soul-wrenching loss as he floated backwards above the stairs, Tommy dripping into the crook of her arm, her small breasts hanging over him. The boy only briefly turned, the stoicism of his ruined childhood and his mother's care already in his face. Dale's hands were wrenched from the doorframe with an unstoppable ease. He supposed he screamed, and maybe it was long and loud as the great arm lifted him through the air, but a sequestered part of his mind watched passively. The stairs and carpet passed beneath his dangling legs. Then Pam was chasing him, her eyes so wild they looked slanted and cartoonish in her face. They grew with nearness until the back of his head collided with the transom, leaving him lolling. The last thing he saw before the vacuum snuffed out his consciousness entirely was like a single slanted frame out of an ancient movie reel. He saw the house's face. The crazed, bloodshot eyes slanted downward with fury and hunger. The nose still belted down on one side with his ratchet cable. And finally the jaw, hanging and dislocated where the quarter-ton spring had slid out of true and shot the joint apart. The swollen gums and missing teeth. The black gullet.
Dale barely heard the roar, not of hunger, but of outrage and ultimate triumph. He had once lain beside Pam on a soft evening before making love. For a moment, they had breathed into each other's mouths, quaking little breaths, as he entered the squishing cave of the house's mouth. It was her breath he smelled. Once his flesh mingled with the house's and Pam put her knife to the walls, it would be her devouring him. He was quite aware of that. And that was our story this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Let's close things out with our 100-character story winner, Beta Dog, with this one here. He found the bones while hunting madly for escape. A lot of bones. There had been other Georges before him. Many Georges. Think you can write a good story with only 100 characters, not counting spaces? Stop thinking about it and do it. You might be next week's winner. We post our winners early on Twitter each week. Our Twitter feed is at the Travelcast. Give it a shot. Write a 100-character story, not counting spaces, and post it in our forums at forums.travelcast.org in the appropriate TwitFix section. Well, that's our show this week, folks. Special thanks to our episode artist this week, Raoul Izzard. What an amazing talent. Remember, folks, the Drabblecast is brought to you with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Our program this week was brought to you by Chief Editor Nathan Lee, our Art Director, Bo Kyer, with additional help from Nikki Drayden, Tom Baker, David Carvin, and David Steffen. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman, reminding you, things will bounce back after the war. 